Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 77 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama. In the last episode, I unpacked what leadership through self-differentiation in a polarized society looks like. And I used an article by David Brubaker in which he described four characteristics of this type of leadership. He wasn't talking about self-differentiation, but when I read that article, that's immediately what I recognized. Those four characteristics are clarity, compassion, courage, and connection. In today's episode, I am going to share how this has played out in my own leadership around a particularly polarizing topic in my denomination, the United Methodist Church, and that is the issue of LGBTQ inclusion. So without further ado, here is episode 77. Like most mainline denominations, the United Methodist Church has grappled with whether or not to ordain LGBTQ persons, as well as whether to allow its ministers to perform same-sex weddings and to allow those weddings to occur in United Methodist churches. This has intensified as other mainline denominations have split, as well as the fact that same-sex marriage has become legal in the United States. All of this came to a head in the 2016 General Conference, which is the quadrennial meeting, the meeting that occurs every four years to deal with legislation in the denomination. And in 2016, the decision was made to have a commission make recommendations with the leadership of the bishops and a special general conference would occur in February of 2019 to deal with the issue once and for all. I'm going to share with you that I support the progressive position which advocates for full inclusion of LGBTQ persons in our denomination. But as you know, in family systems theory, this is about process, not content. So my position doesn't really matter. I could be what we call a traditionalist, one who supports the current stand, which bans ordination of LGBTQ persons and bans same-sex weddings. The point is not so much what my position is, but how am I able to articulate this as a leader in a non-anxious way? How can I lead through self-differentiation? How can I be a non-anxious presence? The only reason I'm sharing this with you is so you don't get hung up on which side is he on and you can focus on the actual emotional process that is going on. Now, one of the first things I had to decide in having clarity is understanding whether or not I should be advocating for this issue in public. And that is because I represent a ministry camp and retreat ministry for our annual conference for our judicatory that serves a broad number of churches and people. And our annual conference is fairly evenly split. It probably leans slightly conservative, but it's very evenly split. So 
what I had to decide was how would my advocacy affect the ministry? And I determined that it was best for me not to take a position publicly. Now, that did not mean that I couldn't take one privately with colleagues and church members that I trust. Now, you may think that is not showing courage, but my belief was that because I was the face of the ministry, because I am in public so often talking about our camp and retreat ministry and the difference that it makes, raising money, helping churches send people to camp, that I would need to make sure that what I said did not adversely impact the ministry. So here's the first example of what I encountered when trying to deal with that type of position. I was at a camp event probably five or six years ago when a woman I knew reasonably well came up to me and with a lot of anxiety asked me, what is your position on homosexuals? Now, remembering that this is process, not content, and that if I got into a content argument with her, this would set up a conflict of wills. It would put us in a position where we were trying to convince each other who is right and who is wrong. And furthermore, if my position was opposite of hers, it might reflect badly on the ministry. So my response was, my position is not important. I represent Camp Pocomath. She then responded, well, what will you do if the denomination splits? And I said, we will go with whoever owns the property. Now, it might seem to you like I was evading the issue, that I was refusing to take a stand. But in fact, I believe I was taking a stand. And my stand was that I do not want to allow the ministry I serve to get in the middle of the debate. We want to be serving all of the churches that are in our annual conference, whether they support LGBT inclusion or whether they support the traditional stance. So my answer to her was my attempt to be clear that my position is not important, that I am leading this ministry to try to serve as many people as possible and that what I think doesn't matter. It also enabled me to stay connected to her as a person, and she still remains connected to the ministry. So that is an example of sometimes our clarity, sometimes our own position takes a backseat to the ministry that we serve. But other times we need to be able to take a stand. I mentioned that I I'm not afraid to share my own position in situations where I am with colleagues or even church members that I trust who understand that I am able to separate my personal position from the ministry that I lead. And one of those situations was at our annual conference, that is the annual gathering of clergy and laypersons from the churches in our judicatory. The conference was just about to start and I was in the display area and one of my friends that I went to seminary with was setting up a display for the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Now that is an advocacy group to maintain the traditional stance in the United Methodist Church. But this colleague was somebody I respect greatly, I consider her a friend. She, her husband is also a clergy person and we've all known each other since 1990, even before we were in the pastorate. So in this case, I went up to her and I asked her if she could tell me about the goals for her association, the WCA. 
My goal was compassion and connection. I truly wanted to understand what my friend believed, what she was trying to achieve, and I also wanted to stay connected to her in a healthy way. Notice that I avoided the conflict of wills. I wasn't trying to convince her of my position. I just wanted to hear what she had to say. And she told me what their goals were. And then I asked, what would it take for you to be willing to stay in a denomination to keep us together? And she shared what she believed about that. She then asked me what I would be willing to live with to keep our denomination together. And I shared with her as well. We didn't find a lot of common ground but we did find a little bit. And more importantly, we agreed that we would maintain our connection as friends and colleagues, no matter what happened, that we wanted to stay connected despite the split that might be coming in our denomination. A little over a year later, my friend and her husband were at our camp helping out with a clergy development program and we were sitting around talking after dinner. This was in August of 2018, so it was just six months before the special general conference that was supposed to occur in February of 2019 to settle this issue once and for all. I just happened to say, I feel like my side's gonna lose. And my friends started laughing and they said, we feel the same way. We chuckled about that for a minute and then we realized it wasn't funny at all. What we realized was that there were not going to be any winners, only losers, that no matter what happened, it was going to be painful for everyone. And we were hopeful that there might actually be some resolution that could occur, but we also knew that that was very unlikely. So we knew that pain was coming in February of 2019. So we renewed our commitment at that table to make sure that no matter what happened, we would treat each other with grace, we would treat each other with respect, that even if we ended up going in different directions, we ended up in different denominations, that we would do it in the way that we believed God would want us to do, and that is being kind and respectful to each other. To me, this is about clarity, knowing where you stand, but also about compassion and connection, being able to stay connected with those who disagree with you vehemently, but then also about courage, being willing to allow the other to have a voice and to not demonize them even when those who are on your side want to do it. That takes courage, and little did we know how important that would be. The United Methodist Church is different than other mainline denominations that have dealt with this issue because it is more of a global church. So in the denominations that have already split, it is because the progressive side has taken over, has won, and the traditional or conservative side has left. But in the United Methodist Church, because many of the developing countries such as countries in Africa and the Philippines and in Eastern Europe are more conservative, the balance has tipped more in favor of the traditional stance. Despite this, I believe what happened at the General Conference in February of 2019 surprised just about everybody, and that is the denomination by a very thin margin, I believe it was 53 or 54% to 46 or 47%, doubled down on the traditional stance. So not only did it uphold the ban on ordination and same-sex weddings, 
but it also stiffened the penalties for violating these rules. Many people had gone into the General Conference thinking that there was going to be what would be called an amicable split, that somehow there would be a way that the progressive and conservative wings of the denomination could part ways amicably and allow each to live out their own values. But that didn't happen. The current stance in the United Methodist Church was maintained, and that created chaos. That chaos created an opportunity. One of the outcomes of the February 2019 General Conference was that it inspired progressives to get more intentional about organizing. And I was a part of that at our annual conference level and also at the denominational level. But I think the real opportunity that occurred was to ask the question, how are we going to deal with this in a way that helps us to move forward in healthy ways? And that takes leadership through self-differentiation. So one of the things I felt led to do, this was April of 2019, so it took a couple months, but I actually contacted another clergy friend and colleague who happened to be the president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, the president of the WCA in our annual conference, and I contacted him and asked if we could meet for coffee. When we met, I said to him, I am not here to try to change your mind. I am tired of fighting. I would like to try to figure out a way that we can move forward together so that we can both live out our values in healthy ways. He was relieved to hear that because he did not want to fight either. He told me that if we were there to have a discussion about who was right and who was wrong, that he was going to leave. But we continued the conversation and we decided that we were going to try to connect more progressive and conservative clergy together to have conversations, not so that we can change each other's mind, but so that we could figure out a way that no matter what happened, we could be able to do this without a lot of destruction. One of the things we knew was that when other mainline denominations split, there were a lot of hard feelings, there was a lot of anxiety, there was a lot of bitterness, and we didn't want that to happen, not just with our colleagues, but also with our churches. So we agreed that we would work on this together. The primary result of that was a gathering of 12 of us clergy, six conservative and six progressive, where we met for about three hours and just shared how we were feeling, just shared our positions, not on what we wanted to see happen to change each other's minds, but how we wanted to move forward in healthy ways. And we came out of that agreeing that we needed to work together to be able to model treating people with grace and respect. We weren't going to agree. We were likely going to split, but we knew that we needed to work together to help minimize the destruction for everybody. To me, that was a positive outcome. The interesting thing about all of that is that just a few months later, COVID-19 hit and everybody forgot about the dispute in our denomination. All of a sudden, we all had a common enemy. Then George Floyd was killed while being taken into custody. If you are like me, you are being challenged to figure out how to respond the need to fight racism in our country. You may believe, like I do, that this is an opportunity that we may be at a tipping point where finally people are understanding that systemic racism 
is not dead, that systemic racism continues to oppress the lives of people and that we need to do something about it. Interestingly, I received a text message a few weeks ago from my clergy couple friends that I mentioned early on in this story. And they told me that they had had a Q&A session in their Sunday morning service. They invited me to listen to it online. It was called The Talk, and they had invited several African-American leaders from their mostly white church to come and just talk about their experience of racism in America. And so I did listen to it. It was extremely moving. I don't know if it changed any minds, but I can tell you that the stories were like so many others being followed in your own neighborhood while jogging, being pulled over and harassed, being harassed by a coworker at work because you are large and black and intimidating. The list goes on and on and on. And the interesting thing about this was my clergy couple friends in that text message invited me to come and speak at their church to help them in this work of anti-racism. Now here's the point for me of this podcast episode. Those friends are doing important work. And if we had somehow gotten into a conflict of wills, if we had not had compassion for each other, if we had not remained connected, if we had not had the courage to continue to meet and talk, even as we knew that our own positions were antithetical to each other, then we may not have had the opportunity. We probably would not have had the opportunity to work together to fight racism now. So that is my point about being a leader that can remain a non-anxious presence. If you are working towards greater self-differentiation, then you know what you believe. You have clarity. The key question is, can you have compassion for those who disagree with you? Can you have the courage to sometimes take a non-anxious emotional stand and other times to learn how to work with others who disagree with you in healthy ways and always to remain connected? There are so many challenges that we face in this world right now, in this polarized society. And if you can be that kind of non-anxious presence, you can help us get somewhere. God can work in us and through us to help us to get somewhere into a future where God is more present and where things are more just. May it be so. So that's it for episode 77. If you are finding these podcasts helpful, I ask that you would share it with a friend. Let them know that family systems theory is something that can help them as a leader. And remember, you can connect with me at thenonanxiousleader.com. Subscribe to my blog. Get my weekly two for Tuesday email. Also have my email and correspond with me if you have questions or would like to discuss family systems theory. I look forward to connecting with you. So until next time. Thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.